everyone let's go welcome to another episode of the uru labs podcast from bengaluru ever complain how bad our cities are how bad your communities you'll get to hear from people who are working to solve these problems in their own way this is your weekly soapbox for urban sustainability i am satya sankaran 18 million people turn 18 each year in india and we have over 100 million people surplus in agriculture unless we create 20 million jobs each year india's dream of a demographic dividend could easily turn into a nightmare this is the title of the 20 million jobs project that our guest today shridhar krishna has been driving he is a senior scholar at the takshashila institution and leads the 20 million jobs project he graduated from bits pilani and has an mba from spj in mumbai he works with startups helping them scale and with a civil society organization on judicial reform till recently he was the managing director at accenture where he worked on analytics and ai welcome to the show shridhar oh thanks satya thanks for having me these headlines are uh, really uh, startling what is the role however you see for cities in fixing this jobs gap you know satya i think there is this romantic ideal that people have that we could all live in these beautiful villages and like you know go back to our roots if the air is clean and nice and everything and you know everybody could live there why are why and and lots of people have talked about maybe people there are lots of people migrating from the villages into the cities instead it should be the other way people should go to the villages and live there but the reality is that no country in history has so far reached 8000 dollars per annum per capita without at least 65 70% of the population living in cities so i think from that perspective uh it looks like we need cities in order to create jobs and for order, for order, in order for us to have a better standard of living so that's some that's one number two if you look at agriculture there's only so much that you can do with agriculture when it comes to growth right so you can improve the yield per hectare you can maybe double it you can do whatever uh you can uh, but you can't increase uh, i mean it's very hard to increase the area under agriculture i mean i think um, there's a limitation of water all that is a is a is a huge constraint so there are huge natural constraints in terms of how much agriculture can grow by i mean you can maybe like you know increase you can improve yield by twice i mean two times three times whatever but it's not going to go to the point where we need to be even today if you look at india's uh, gdp and the proportion of for gdp that comes from out of agriculture with over 55% of the people involved in it only about 16% or so is from agriculture so therefore we do need people to move to cities and do urban jobs in order for india to grow so that also means there is going to be a concentration of labor there is going to be more migration there is going to be more people coming in and the consequential Uh, catch up that infrastructure provisioning has to do in cities is that much more astronomical we've seen this in cities like bengaluru where uh, more migration has also meant more pressure on city infrastructure but that has the positive impact of creating more jobs and creating more economic growth right so yeah. what has migration actually done and how do you balance this thing that uh, we need to go back to the villages thing which is not feasible after a yeah. little while right yeah. so where, how do we how do we address this problem of uh, negative blowback on saying no migration is not good because it's leading to some other externalities yeah i think migration leads to many externalities which are not pleasant for people right in terms of uh, i mean where do people come and live if somebody lands up if like 
uh, tens of thousands of people land up from the villages into our cities. Where can they live? They don't have a job yet. While they're struggling to get their feet on the ground, I mean, where do they go and stay? They try staying with their relatives or friends for a few days, but eventually they'll have to, they'll have, they're out on the streets. And then you're, you're going to, so, so if these people don't have enough money of their own, it's going to be difficult for them to rent accommodation. They'll just go in and, and like, you know, squat where they, where they can. So there is that. And if these people don't end up sending their children to school, etc., all those things lead to other types of problems as well. But this is a reality. We've got to figure out ways of dealing with it. People are going to come from villages into our cities looking for jobs. Our cities cannot function if people were not to come from other places. The kind of services that we are all used to are all available to us because these people come from the villages and migrate into our cities to work for us either in our factories or in our uh, homes or, uh, or or in our municipality and everywhere. And we need people to migrate into our cities to work. So we need to make it possible. So I think the problem also is the, the skewed development which happens where people end up going, everybody in, in Karnataka, most of the revenue comes from Bangalore, right? Most of our GDP is sort of generated from out of Bangalore. And that's true of most many states, right? Very few cities in each. So I think we need more states, more cities in each of the state to be doing well. We need to have, and that happens. And why do people come to Bangalore? Because Bangalore has got the infrastructure. However much we might curse the infrastructure in Bangalore, the fact is it has got better infrastructure than the other cities. I mean, in terms of reliable power, in terms of like, you know, um, a, a transport network, in terms of like, you know, a industrial estates or places where jobs uh, people come and then it just concentrates in one place and then so people work there so i think if we make our other cities better and invest in them effectively i think you can have like hubli and other places also taking some of the migrants and like you can have you can have a slightly better quality of life in our existing cities so our second tier tier, tier cities need to grow we need um, I mean, in my opinion, I think our billion plus population should be spread between 1,000 cities, each of about a million people each. I mean, that's what I would like. I think if we create more cities, we would have more jobs. Just the act of creating the cities will lead to better jobs. Uh, Nitin Pai and um, Pranay and Anupam, etc., had, had from Takshashila, had talked a little while about ago about how it's it would be a great idea if our governments were to go and create new cities by moving a capital. Like, you know, let's get capital of Bangalore. Let's, let's make Karnataka's capital, not Bangalore, move it to some other place, create a new city. Then you'll have enough people going there and therefore that city can get created. So I think things like that will have to be done for us to make it more sustainable. Maybe more cities, smaller populations. Yeah, we do have a winter session in the northern part of Karnataka once in a while, but I think yeah. I get what you're saying. Now, but the cities are also increasingly, the inner cities are becoming service oriented and less manufacturing. Mm -hmm. That's slowly getting pushed to the outskirts and the sprawl. And structurally, I don't think we are defining our cities right also. Mm -hmm. And nevertheless, uh, how do you see uh, the sectoral allocation? Because each 20 million jobs annually, it's such a humongous task, right? Where are we on that? What kind of numbers are we adding now? Yeah. And where do we start this increase? I know it is growing. India is growing. There's a 
you know sure. we're heading there yeah. but is it fast enough and what can speed this up and is there any overheating that can happen if you're going too fast so so i mean the the gap is huge so for instance instead of 20 million jobs that we require uh, we are probably creating anywhere between 2 to 4 million jobs a year right so i mean 4 is like a very very optimistic number and there are people who believe that it's even less than a million the problem has been that despite india's considerable growth over the last 2 3 decades those that growth has been a largely jobless one our uh, employment elasticity has been which was in the 70s at something like 0.9 has come down to 0.087 so which means that even when we were growing at 2 3% in the 70s we were actually creating we were increasing the number of jobs by about almost 2% the number of people in jobs were increasing by about 2% while today even though we are growing at 7 8% over the last i mean except there might have been a dip in the last few couple of years but otherwise it's been we've been growing at about 7 8 between 6 and 8% but our uh, job growth has been less than a percentage and that's because of like good things happening also like our productivity has gone up labor productivity has gone up we've brought in automation we've become more competitive our industries have become more competitive there's been growth but it has been a, a largely jobless one i think like that's the that's the downside of it but without growth you can't have jobs you can't even but let's look at it i'm not against growth because if you didn't have growth you couldn't have mandrega you wouldn't have the resources for all those other services that today the government is able to do uh, those things would not have been possible at all i mean you would have just been creating jobs when nobody would be producing anything but uh, but today we are producing a lot but we don't have jobs so i think it's a better place to be but we still need to get those jobs too but it's a lot of service sector job i was just reading today like i was mentioning before we started uh, recording is that uh, uh, i guess anupama someone wrote that there's been more qualified people doing uh, gig work, gig work. Yeah. right so that's one part so where are these jobs going to come from which sector is it going to be we've predominantly been service sector driven for the past whatever years yeah manufacturing is something you have alluded to yeah that doesn't is it is it, uh, is it any better now do you think we can catch up on that yeah, i think like you know the whole world it, it was a very interesting article in the economist last month called uh, the manufacturing delusion and they mm-hmm. talked about how even developed countries around the world are wondering are wanting are dreaming of this utopian environment where they could go back to manufacturing america is investing a trillion dollars string saying that like we want to become the manufacturing capital of the world again um the eu which is like known for not allowing its member states to provide great incentives financial incentives for one thing or the other have agreed that it's all right to do so for manufacturing right they're saying you can provide some incentive they're amending their rules in order to make that happen the economist argues that uh, manufacturing the nature of manufacturing has changed the idea that like you will get those very nice middle level jobs in manufacturing in the past which you had in the past will are no longer there manufacturing today is largely many low end jobs and a few high end ones and uh, so it's not really the most desirable place for us to for the west to go but i have a slightly different take on um, what it is for india i do believe that manufacturing can help india india needs lots of jobs our labor force participation rate is extremely low we have very few women in our workforce i think like uh, large scale manufacture can attract and and provide opportunities for many of these people even if it is low end jobs that's okay it's better than not having jobs so i think like you know from that perspective yeah. i think even manufacturing is good 
but i think our pli scheme etc which is trying to which is directed towards trying to encourage manufacturing has its limitations i think we're trying to like you know uh, very hard to pick some winners etc might be better off doing some standard things which will actually improve make india a better place to work out of set up business uh, make it easy the licenses we seem to be returning a bit to the license raj with some of the policies which we seem to be coming up with because we're trying to control it we, we're doing it because we think we're doing it in the name of national security we think we're doing it in order to the intentions are not bad right so i think we we are doing it because we think we can help increase manufacturing jobs in india but we might end up uh affecting those right so i think that's one view but there are a few industries where i think have even this pli scheme can help for instance we are very we have some serious competitive advantage in uh bulk drug manufacture etc so i think in pharmaceuticals and some of those areas i think the pli scheme might actually give us good benefit so uh understanding that and going into that a little bit and making sure that we support the right industries i might be contradicting myself by saying that you know we shouldn't be picking winners but if you don't have in the short run you might have to pick some winners right and so you have to yeah. be sensible about it and use your resources within a few places and try to do that while use the rest of your resources to actually improve the industrial environment and the laws and everything else and make it make it easy for people to start a business easy for them to fail and shut down a business um and so on i think those things are important we have made some progress in terms of our labor law reforms in other areas but um, more to be done yeah we'll come back to the ease of doing because closing is uh, harder than starting and starting itself is quite hard uh, and i do agree that uh, some kind of rolling protectionism is required in some areas uh, most uh, countries have used that but that's a conversation mm-hmm. for a different uh, day uh one of the things that i wanted to talk about was while there is a lot of jobs that are currently available in the cities there is this mismatch between skills and uh, the jobs that are available i hire so i can see it many of us hire we can notice that the schools while we're churning out lots more people there's such a wide range of quality coming out of schools yeah. we're trying to teach people more teach kids more and end up teaching them actually less there's so many of these are happening and we just alluded to this whole report of over qualified people seeking a, a good job, jobs yeah. and things yeah. like that this this whole how do we tackle this mismatch because there are so many people we say are available there are company i have listed uh, jobs there are so many people who have listed jobs and yet we are not able to close them yeah. appropriately yeah what is this how do we unpack yeah, and and what you're saying is is absolutely true because i think even the ilo came up with a report and said that in this decade there will be like some 29 million jobs which will go unfilled because we don't have the skills to fill them right in a country which is desperately mm-hmm. seeking jobs we have this very sad situation of uh not being able to fill jobs which are out in the market so there is this huge problem of a skills mismatch right i think that's a big gap and i think mm-hmm. there is this problem so i i like this little example that i have of um this, this my friend gurmeet singh right who who was a lathe operator in ludhiana and he was he realized that he was earning only 10 15000 rupees a month and somebody told him that you know you should operate cnc machines you'll probably earn more money now he finds out that in order to learn how to use a cnc machine you have to spend 
pay 50,000 rupees to a training institute to get trained. Now, he's earning 10, 15,000 rupees. He obviously doesn't have 50,000 rupees to spare. He also knows it'll take two, three months, which means he'll need to spend almost a lakh of rupees in order to like, you know, take, say, imagine three months pay, be, I mean, leave the dog mm. pay for 45,000 rupees plus this 50,000 rupees. So he's talking about 95,000 rupees. So he has to take a loan of almost a lakh of rupees in order to go and do this. And if he goes and does that and doesn't get a job at the end of it, then what happens? He's in a worse position, right? He doesn't have a job now. He's in debt for a lakh of rupees. So he can't do anything. Instead, so I have this idea. There is this concept called career impact bonds. Yeah, it's been around for a while, mm-hmm. um, but uh, it's not grown quite significantly. But I think today the time is right for it to succeed. And I'll explain to you why. Imagine a situation where Gurmeet, instead of some borrowing money from some money lender and trying to do this course and, and finding it almost impossible to repay this loan. Imagine a situation where the training institute gives him a loan of 95,000 rupees, takes 50,000 rupees for itself to pay the fees and 45,000 rupees it gives him so that he can live during this period. And Gurmeet has to repay this loan only if he gets a job at the end of this training. And he has Mm. to repay the loan only if he gets a job which pays him more than, let's say, 25,000 rupees a month. And then he pays a percentage of that income. If he earns 25, let's say he pays five. If he earns 30, he might pay seven and so on, right? So you can have that kind of a system where the person who's training you has an incentive to help you to go out and get a good job and and helps you and is incentivized to help you earn more money. But then the training institute will have some liquidity problem. They can't obviously finance this for a, a large number of people. They'll run out of money. So they'll have to pool these loans. Imagine all these at-risk loans, which I call them, they get pooled and then like, you know, a, a special purpose vehicle is created and like you structure these into uh, into in, in securitize them, structure them into bonds, mm. different tranches. The senior tranche will be a AAA rated one where people like you and I will go and sort of invest as a financial investor. Then you could have like somebody who's got a little more risk appetite, probably a, a subscribes to the mid, mid, middle tranches. Then you have somebody who's the government or CSR funds of various organizations and even this training institute, for instance, subscribing to the equity tranche. So now what happens is you have the entire system, which is incentive, has the same incentive. Let's get Gurmeet a job. Let's teach him the right skills. If mm. Gurmeet is not, does not have the aptitude to become a CNC operator, you will tell him upfront and not take his money, right? You will not ask him to go and get trained in something in which you believe that he doesn't have the aptitude to do. So I think this kind of thing will make Mm. a huge difference. So if you create these and create bonds, then the financial markets will ensure that the money will flow towards training programs and institutes which provide job-oriented training and and away from people who are just coming in there to scam desperate job seekers, right? So I think that would be something that we could work on. Earlier, it didn't work very well because like, you know, how do you ensure that somebody who goes out into the market after the training He's gone out, he goes into another city, wherever, goes and has a job. How do you ensure that that person repays the loan? Today, the sector, things have become much more, um, I think everybody's got a bank account, this whole jam, Jandan, Aadhaar, Mobile. With that, I think you can keep track of people more easily. You can keep track of their incomes. You can have like a legal framework which allows for this to, to work. And if we find the right legal framework and, and contracts in order to, to make the system work, I think it can be fantastic. Recently, Google has announced a $100 million uh, fund to train people in Google certifications, et cetera, 
and they say that you don't have to pay for the certification you pay only if you earn more than $40,000 and this is for people in the US and it's along with this social company called social finance and they've set up this right mm-hmm. so this is something that's what i'm talking about is not some something that doesn't exist it exists and it can be a very good solution for us to train large numbers of people and bridge this gap so i guess it needs to come out of uh, finishing schools or vocational yeah. finishing schools of some yeah. such kind rather than the traditional college giving you basic Absolutely. education or i don't know if the engineering colleges can even morph into that because they seem to be chasing a lot of courses which seems to be in demand i've seen at least three different variations of ai and machine mm-hmm. learning courses just to yeah. fill the seats and they are promising higher and higher footfalls not translating into mm-hmm. jobs really and and the incentives are not yeah. in line they are teaching things yeah but then when these guys come out and Uh, the industries are trying to hire there is Absolutely. definitely a gap i mean it's not going to be perfect yeah. match and i right? think like you know this is to be looked at as a no finishing school kind of system because um, i think that's what will work right so you need to have this finishing schools kind of system mm. because people what you graduate from college today knowing is not going to be adequate to keep you employed over the next 30 40 years that one needs to remain employed so all of us have to acquire mm. new skills i started off i spent my first decade in manufacturing i spent my second decade doing it and outsourcing i spent my third decade doing ai and analytics and now i'm doing other stuff so i think that's the and and we had the resources to up, up train upskill ourselves a large majority of indians don't and i think something like this will help make that a reality fair enough so but then the uh, in as we grow and as our gdp grows and our per capita income grows we are going to get less and less competitive in the manufacturing space yeah. and in a lot of spaces right that's a bigger challenge we are quickly encountering like the developed world is trying to go back to manufacturing but yeah. they're going to be outpriced and if you're relying on comparative advantages there are issues of these inter globalization problems yeah. that we are facing now which is uh, national security conflict closing down of borders yeah. lots of these things how do we juggle these and yet be able to get to 20 million because that's 10 times more i think you know more. everybody seems to be more confident than you and i uh, satya in this because i was reading a <laughs> I, i read a beautiful uh, i saw a lovely chart by this visual capitalist uh, yesterday or day before which talked about like you know the global gdp in 2050 and it today if it it talked about how uh, the us will be at about 27 trillion china will be number one at about 44 trillion and india will be at 22 trillion right india will be number 3 at 22 trillion and that's like a significant number because when you look at that that we're talking about india having a per capita income of about 14 15000 and that's not going to happen mm-hmm. without a larger work labor force participation or uh, all those things and that is why they believe that india will get there because they're saying that we have a lot of young people and they say that a lot more people will get into these jobs and therefore it will happen because the real, we will find a way right i mean like we'll all struggle we will muddle but we will when you have so many young people we have no choice this issue is going to be so big that elections will be won and lost on this subject of jobs therefore people will solve right i think i think that's i'm an optimist from that perspective and i think services is also changing we talked about whether manufacturing or service and i want to just briefly get to that um mm. if you look at global trade i mean th- therefore if you look at gdp globally i think about out of the 105 trillion or so which is the global gdp about 63 64% is from services but if mm. you look at global trade only 21% is services 
most of the global mm. trade is in manufactured and agricultural goods. They're not in uh, services. So if India were to grow, where is it going to grow? Is it, I mean, if, I mean, if you want to, expo- if you have to have an export-oriented economy, initially we may look at like, you know, manufacturing, but it's also interesting to see that services is growing much faster than manufacturing and agriculture, even in trade. The technolo- technology is making huge changes. What was initially possible, it was difficult to trade in certain types of services because you needed to have people also move there to deliver those services, which obviously due to people are not very keen on having someone come over and do that job, right? So they don't want people to migrate to their countries. So they are always a little hesitant. But I think technology will make it possible for many services to be delivered remote. Education, healthcare, environmental services. These are services which have hitherto been only done in in person but those things can change and can be done will soon start being done much more remote and therefore you might see as a surge in services trade which means many of those jobs could also be created in services that also has the danger of uh, technology is also changing there is ai there's going to be job losses the elasticity is only going to get well we may balance it out because we are growing right now but uh, where do you see the those conversations going with ai and job loss and because products you have to make the products there is also automation there that's taking some things away it's not going to be as elastic mm-hmm. as earlier for sure because there's automation the same automation is creeping into software is that going to because we are in the yeah, middle I of think, everything now yeah. one side this is going that way and i know yeah. i know what you mean and i think i've been reading about this quite a bit and i've also been working at takshashila along with a bunch of colleagues on the subject of AI governance and what needs to be done in that space, et cetera. And job losses, it is a huge in- shift, right? So when you look at each each industrial mm. revolution has led to a loss of traditional jobs and led to a creation of new set of jobs, right? And I think the biggest problem has been the skills mismatch. And then like, you know, one generation, it takes a generation really for that for that to happen. I think one good thing which I've noticed is that I was reading the World Trade Organization's report on jobs of the future. In The jobs of the mm. future report is a biennial report. They didn't produce one in 22. They produced one in 23. The one in 20 indicated that today of all jobs that are being done, 34% is, 33% is being done by uh, machines and 67 by man then they said that by 2022 or some uh, 2025 50 percent of all jobs will be done by the machine and only 50 percent will be done by human beings right but when come 2023 and they looked at the same data and they found that only 34 percent is being done by machine 33 has become 34 and despite all the hype there's still a small percentage increase in the number of jobs which have actually gone to machines and humans are still doing 66%. So I think there might, it is going to happen, but I think the, uh, the pace of AI mm. adoption may not be as high as, as much as the hype is, right? So the pace of AI mm. adoption will probably give us time. I'm hoping will give us time to upskill ourselves and make ourselves ready for jobs of the future. So that's, that's why my, op- that optimist in me speaking. The other thing is we're also imagining that like, you know, everybody's talking about how I read some Accenture report. I mean, I used to work with Accenture in the past. I read an interesting Accenture report which said that 
uh, 65% of all the jobs that we do are language oriented jobs and 40% improvement mm. there. I mean, they said like, you know, and 60% of that can be sort of uh, done by machine. And that means like, you know, there'll be a 40% increase in sort of productivity, which means that if you were to produce the same number of goods or same things across the board, we'll probably need like 40% less people in order to do this. But that's basically assuming that our global GDP is going to remain at this current level. And like, you know, you'll have, and for producing this output, you need 40% less people. The reality is we should probably be able to do way more things than what was possible before. There will be a lot more mm. that we do in terms of like, you know, the arts and culture and person-to-person -person interaction and many things which uh, maybe uh, humans may do better. We might, you know, spend a lot more on our leisure and various other activities, etc. So the share of the economy from different sectors may change quite significantly. So I think these are things that will happen. In the long run, it might take a generation. And I think there will be a generation which will suffer with this kind of transition that, and the thing that's happening. And what kind of social um, safety nets, etc. that we can provide will determine whether we go into a, whether we have some kind of revolution or those kind of problems, or whether we transition smoothly into a new type of working and a new type of jobs. So there is that, there is the role of government and yep. society in ensuring a smooth transition. And I believe these career impact bonds can provide a bit, a bit of a bridge between those things. So if you can help people access money to go and train themselves and upskill themselves, then this way it'll, if somebody wants to learn something, it helps them to know what to learn. It helps them to know where to learn it from. And then it also tells them that if I don't learn it properly, they, I don't, they don't have to, I don't have to repay the loan. So I think if it takes that fear off, then it'll be like everybody's a rich kid, right? I mean, like, you know, as you can go and learn what you want, you, you have exposure to a lot of data, you know, your father's friends and mother's friends there. And, and, and that helps you to know where, what to study and where to study from. It's, it's career impact bonds can help in doing something similar for everybody. What kind of uh, organizations should be looking at career impact bonds? You did mention vocational institutes, private vocational institutes. Uh, what kind of a backing is required for them? How do they begin this journey of a career? Yeah, impact I think they have, have to like work with that? a bank, right? So basically, I think you should look at look at working mm. with some banks and like you know financial institutions which do securitization and create bonds. Uh, today, you have bonds which are created for like you know mortgage bonds, right? You have like you know. So you have mortgage bonds, mm -hmm. you have home loans, people take those home loans, pull them together, and then they create bonds out of it. So go work with all those investment banks and like, you know, tie up with your banks. And uh, the banks also are looking at interesting asset classes. Honestly, I think that in the long run, mm -hmm. education is a fantastic asset class. I think if like, you know, it's done in such a way that everybody gets, if they, if you're aligning the incentives, why are the, why is there such a large amount of unpaid student debt in the U S it's because incentives are not aligned. There's just like, you know, cost of providing education is increased. Mm. People get loans and then they don't, and they have to repay those loans, whether they get jo big jobs or not. Instead, if these are for smaller loans, these are given for people to upskill themselves and it's going to be easier today to track people than it was in the past. So I think it will it'll it'll be an interesting asset class which provides interesting good returns over time. 
the initial few years will have to be financed by philanthropists and CSR funds and the government. But eventually, within like say two, three, four years, I believe that this kind of financing can ensure money goes towards programs that do well and that money will get repaid. And therefore, it can be a good investment. This could be a good uh, idea for yeah. uh, edtech startups now. Maybe yeah. it's a good uh, differentiator for them to start saying, enough yeah. with the online, let's get the jobs. The biggest thing is the space race now, right? Building rockets and many other technologies, which is it. I also ah. have this fascination for green yes. jobs. I've heard a lot about yeah. it. I don't know if that is even on the agenda. Where do, what does that, that look like? What does that environment look like? Absolutely. Is jobs I think like, there? you know, you look at India, we made commitments of being zero, net zero by 2017, right? We've also made some specific guidelines around how much we will uh, cut our emissions by, by like some 2050 or so, right? We've got some milestones to cross. If India is going to create these number of jobs that I'm asking for, and I believe we need, if we create it in the same sectors in which we are currently working, if we create it using the same technology which we are currently using, obviously it will be a disaster, environmental disaster. Amitabh Kant made a mention they, at uh, a CII event that I attended last year that India will be the first country which will have to do all this growth while being green, right? So you have to grow while being green and that's going to be very critical for India. What does that mean? It could translate to India becoming, it's going to have a huge demand for green technology in order to, so while other countries are talking about spending $4 trillion globally, that's the amount of money that needs to be invested per annum for the green transition. So there's a huge amount of money to be spent, right? So that could mm -hmm. lead to a big demand for things in India. But India is slightly different. We're not talking about a green transition. We're talking about growth with green, right? Which means that we need to create new capacities mm -hmm. which will be green and uh, which will which will not be and which will be environmentally friendly, etc. So, because of this huge demand that will be there in India, India could become a big leader in green tech. There's a, at least the factor conditions are right for it to do so. Now it has to get the right skills. It has to write right partners. You know, work with Israel. You can work with many other countries which have some good technology. Work with them. Create partnerships and uh, use the you, you use the large number of people that we've got and uh, make it happen. So I think green technology is a huge unity for India. I think manufacturing can create some jobs in the short run. I think like services is seeing a, uh, a structural shift in terms of how services are delivered. That provides us an opportunity. So I think um, all this is, is important. So here's the thing. Today we are a nation of a lot of small entrepreneurs. I am one myself, but they are not going to create the kind of jobs alone. And there are going to have to be larger manufacturing companies. Even the small guys don't even have enough big companies to exit out to. So yeah. how do we achieve that kind of scale for the large manufacturers, uh, big scale companies, which can achieve things at large? Is that going to happen anytime soon, you think? I think we need, I agree with you that, you know, it's very nice to see lots of entrepreneurs, etc. Uh, amongst our friend circle and uh, people doing it. And we do need a mix of both small, medium size and small and, and large organization. But the large jobs, the kind of pace at which we need jobs created, I think we need large companies to come in. We need large scale manufacture to happen. I'm I'm not very, very confident that that can happen overnight. We might have, we might see it in a few sectors, 
but I don't see that happening so easily. However, today in Mint, I read a very interesting article about this company called Zetwork. They are like an online marketplace for small to medium-sized manufacturing firms. And uh, they have overall turnover of about 11,000 crores. They've become a unicorn, but they produce only about 5-6% of the products of that manufacturing, manufacturing is done by them. A large number is done by, they've identified companies which are small, which are doing different things, and they're able to provide a sort of marketplace for them. They're just like an OYO for, uh, just like OYO connected small hotels, et cetera, with the, with the user, um, with the customer. They, this is this company is doing that. So I think something's like this, I think use of intelligent use of technology can sort of help in providing a scale when scale doesn't exist. I mean, like it's, it's sort of created artificially by combining all these enterprises together. Who would have thought that many of these small uh, hotels would have just sort of died? They were almost on the verge of death when suddenly OYO, et cetera, came, Bloom Rooms and all that. They came and they pro provided them with a second life. So I think something like that might help, but uh, large, but for the kind of jobs that we need, we do need large manufacturing. And we also have to look at mm. the services sector very seriously. There are changes happening and we need to be ready to take advantage of those changes in services. India should have the ambition to become for services what China became for manufacturing. And I think like that's something that we can seriously work towards, right? If we can't create those large manufacturing jobs, let's at least become the, the services capital of the world. Right. So I think that's what you're- Makes doing. sense. But that also brings into uh, question the role of the government in all of these things, right? Of course, the industry will have to do what it needs to do. Ease of business is one that I can think of. What else do you, what else can you think of? Where are we standing on a, that? I think a good legal framework to, for people to be able to, to work, right? A law, a legal, a legal system, which is reliable, where, and uh, we, I mean, both of us sort of met at, uh, at Daksh. And we talked about how there are all these cases which are uh, pending forever and ever. I think ways by which if you have a better legal system, I think more people, a more reliable and a more efficient legal system, I think people will be willing to go out and take chances and run business. So I think in that's fact, important. I just, in fact, I just spoke with uh, Surya about that issue on the trust thing, yeah. which is where we had this, uh, I think you and I had a conversation long ago as well. But mm. the low trust economy is also putting a lot of entrepreneurs at uh, risk. Uh, yeah. Nevertheless, continue. Sure, I think, I think he, that's he, he has mentioned something around that in yeah. the recent podcast that was released today. Correct. I mean, uh, this week, last weekend. Yeah. And I but, think like there's another one, which I think, uh, uh, which I've been reading about with great interest is the fact that these MSMEs don't get paid on time by a large number mm -hmm. of, I mean, they have a huge, they have a huge credit crisis. They have access to credit that they've got is only 15 to 20% of what they really need. Um, the delays in payments by large public sector enterprises is making it difficult for these people to sustain themselves. I think some of these things the government can do to ensure that you know they pay on time. I heard the finance minister talk about uh, asking private companies to, to pay MSMEs on time. I think uh, the be it is probably best done by leading with by example. And I think if the public sector and the government pays the MSMEs on time, then I think uh, MSMEs will automatically get paid by the larger mm -hmm. Indian private sectors also on time.
ఇన్ఫ్యాక్ట్ ఆన్ దట్ యాజ్ వెల్ ఉదయం నంబర్ ఆర్ ది ఉద్యోగ an interest month on month interest of some 1.6% or whatever sure. it is i'm not very clear but i do have that and but it's one thing to have that and tell them <laughs> i had to use that once to tell them that hey you can't you've been dragging your feet yeah. but it's another thing to actually get it enforced you can't go back into yeah. the same uh, legal system where there is a huge queue right and yeah. we also talked about if if the amount is small and it's just a month or two's recovery or three or four months recovery it's just so small that the legal system prioritizes larger cri- crimes over you right. and you end up becoming this casualty like the police guy who's sitting in the uh, trying to file a case for a mobile phone when there is a murder case going on right you yeah, get priced out the so if it's the it all comes back to the judicial so i kind yeah, of agree i think so that is one thing also right yeah that's true i think it affects ease of doing business absolutely and i think not having access to credit not having delays in payments uh, having a legal system that works that you can rely on um then it's about you know we keep talking about uh, power we talk about all our city, all our villages now have been collected by electricity i think it's important to have power that is reliable right i think like it's impo- even if you say that i will give you good quality power for 8 hours a day the rest of the time you run by generator but these 8 hours you will get like good solid power which doesn't fluctuate which doesn't which protects your equipment and everything i think those kind of things will make a difference i think farmers will also like it so will industry i think having quality power which is reliable i think that's that's very important and and i think basically just aligning incentives to make sure that you know you grow and like and the, i think they're making changes with respect to the labor laws etc which will make it easier to for companies to grow the old incentives to remain small will sort of slowly go away and uh, we need to ensure that i mean the government should believe that it can be fallible right and therefore understand that it can't know everything and therefore should not try to like you know control the economy too much i mean you should sort of free it up allow the market to play just be around to ensure that the rules are rules of the game are being followed i, I think also this le- uh, creator system i think understand that upskilling is very important i think the government mm-hmm. spends a lot of money in the skill development corporation etc i met some interesting people they're doing very interesting things i met the karnataka skill development corporation people i had a conversation with them about what they are doing they're training nurses and sending them to the middle east etc but i think instead of doing that what they should do really mm-hmm. is to be creating this legal framework where these career impact bonds can work maybe they deploy their funds as equity investments in these career impact bonds so that way they are monitoring the system be playing in the system to make sure that and they can test the system they can figure out if the money that they are investing is generating jobs they can actually quantify the output i think those are things that can work i think that's what the government should be doing it shouldn't be actually training people to go out and work as uh, nurses in the middle east right i think it's it's laudable that they are trying to do what they can do but really the value would be more in if they were to like you know play a supervisory role a structural role building institutions which allow for these kind of things to happen rather than running them themselves that's what i think I it's important say. to rename that from skill development to maybe 
skill matching or something else that yeah. is more appropriate because you say skill development you want to do the work and it gets kind Correct. of uh, yeah uh, aligned, i don't think the government is best place to understand what are the jobs that are required it's very hard for somebody to do that because then it becomes i don't think even if you or i were to sit down and say what are the skills of the future it's going to be a tough job and by the time they yeah. may be right but by the time we actually put out the report it might be too late because by then like those skills will no longer be required and something else will be required so leave it to the market find ways by which the market can respond to you quickly and give you a good feedback and uh, use that better that's what i would suggest last but not the least city governments Huh. while they don't get the income tax for creating the jobs i mean they do get it through the finance commission but uh, not directly what is the city government's role because we see infrastructure is a big challenge right livability in cities and these are things that people care about you and i want to live in a nice city walk around do nice things but that seems to skill development seems to take more uh, yeah uh, you know focus than actually creating infrastructure yeah i think like the problem is that uh, cities are where jobs are created but elections are not won here mm. see so therefore the money that gets spent that gets earned in the cities are rarely invested in the cities because it does not help them go out to win elections so they win elections by going out of the cities into the districts and into other areas and uh, so i think that's a that's a shame right so i think we need to provide we need to give uh, cities the ability to govern themselves directly and more effectively very few of our cities have a mayor a proper elections to the bbmp i don't know when they last happened so those kind of issues i think are preventing our cities from achieving their true potential i think more local governance greater uh, devolution of powers to to our cities share of revenue which is direct therefore it's not mm. like somebody's largest which sort of comes out and like you know uh, every now and then when somebody wants to do something they might fix it but otherwise no, not enough resources being sent to places where revenue is generated right so i think so you got to have i'm not saying that you know money is generated in bangalore so all the money should remain here and it shouldn't go anywhere else we are one country money has to be shared those who make it will have to share it with those who don't but it doesn't mean that you just milk it dry you know you've got to make sure that you're at least providing enough uh, you nurture these cities in a way that it can provide more jobs and generate more revenue in the future so you shouldn't kill the goose that lays the golden eggs so yeah well they do indirectly look at uh, real estate hoping that more real estate means more jobs it need not necessarily be true so they do get the property tax out of that mm. but directly do you think there is a it might be a long shot let them first get the devolution right but at some point creating jobs need to take precedence and uh, yeah. most of the time it seems to be a government largest from the state that is uh, driving which is almost all of it yeah. uh, very pay, minimal amount is coming out but nevertheless so uh, last thoughts from you on uh, 20 million from 2 million or 18 million from 2 million whatever it is i think like we need to do, many do a things. sectoral split yeah so i think like let's look at it i mean there are some sec- so obviously while i talked about employment elasticity there are some in, some in the, some sectors within that which do have fairly high employment elasticity construction is one 
right? So that's an area where there's a lot of progress which is happening. India is spending a lot of money on roads. So construction on infrastructure, investments in infrastructure, et cetera, will actually lead to more jobs because there is that. Otherwise, I think you should look at sectors which are like, you know, having a high employment elasticity. You should make sure that your PLI schemes, et cetera, are more incentivized towards actual creation of jobs rather than just creation of some capacity and production, right? So you've got to make sure that like incentives are provided which are linked to jobs. The third thing is about this whole idea of career impact bonds, making sure that people, I think everybody in schools and should be taught that you're going out there, you go to a university, you gain some education, but remember, you need to keep learning new skills every few years. Otherwise, you will not remain employable. Make sure that people learn how to learn well, right? I mean, right from, the, some of us went to good schools, right? We had some good teachers who taught us how to study who taught us how to learn. We had we had role models within our families who could teach us how to learn something. Somebody told you, okay, take down some notes, put this thing together, each thing that you remember some important thing, highlight it on your page or whatever. Everybody finds some way by which they learn. I think we need to learn how to learn well. And if some, something like that is taught effectively in, at the school stage, I think that can make go a long way in people acquiring new skills as they go along. Technology change, all that is a reality. I think we have to welcome it, embrace it, embrace the change, ride the wave of change, don't get swept under it, right? So, and the only way to do that is to acquire new skills and a good way of doing that. I think that's that's something that I feel very strongly about. I think the, there's a big transition in the world to services, even in international trade. India should aim to become a big player there. The green transition provides interesting opportunities, interesting challenges and opportunities for India. I think we need to look at them as not just challenges, but uh, really use this opportunity to become the world leader in green. So if you become a big services player, you become a good green technology player, I think India can achieve that large $10,000 per capita income in the next 20 odd year, 20, 30 years. But um, if we don't, and if we just try to, like, you know, make some small adjustments and uh, and do things, we might lose a huge opportunity, which seems to be ahead of us. That's a wonderful thought. And uh, that links back to what you said is the cities have to play a big role. The energy intensity of cities is also going up and it calls for some amount of deregulation and a lot of things like power as well. Education is a big thing. I hear you. I think I need to do a complete new episode on uh, education itself is to what is broken and how we fix it and what are the different things, not fixing it as in the government trying to fix something. On that wonderful note, thanks, Sridhar, for sparing uh, the time to bring this uh, forward and unpack this for us. Uh, here's a call out to everybody else to like, subscribe and share. Um, see you all next week. Bye-bye. Thanks, Satya. Pleasure talking to you.